Well, Ryan, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you too. It's been a little while. Yeah, we, we've, we've <laughs> taken a couple episodes off. It's it's uh, it's great to get back into the saddle with you, man. Yeah, and we have some good topics brewing now. So it seemed like we needed a little space anyways for some fresh topics to, to emerge. Yep. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, we've got we've got actually the next few shows, uh, the next few months <laughs> of shows kind of sketched out. Um, yeah, it's nice. But for today, I think we've got what feels to me like a special topic for us yeah. to today. Um, so just to kind of throw it on the table today, we're going to be looking at, we're going to be titling this show, Inhabit Your Bardo. And for those who aren't familiar uh, of what a bardo is, mm-hmm. um, so this is, this, this comes from the Buddhist tradition mm-hmm. and it's usually, you know, when people uh, use the word bardo, usually what they're talking about is this sort of in-between state between life and death. The mm-hmm. idea being that, you know, we, we live our lives, we pass away, and then we find ourselves in this bardo realm, which mm-hmm. is a transitional state between lifetimes. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful sort of mythology of life and death. It's a, it's a beautiful metaphysics of life and death. And it's not exactly what we're talking about today, because I think like so many of so much of Buddhist cosmology, you know, you can sort of you can sort of take these ideas and you project them outwards, you know, as far as you can go. And, you know, when you do so, you see something like Bardo realms and these, you know, sort of transition mm-hmm. points between lifetimes. And, you know, and a lot of it, again, feels a little bit, it feels like a belief system almost, right? I mean, it's it's sort of, yeah. there's a way of coping with death and Christianity has its version. And, you know, all these different religious traditions have come up with various strategies to help us find meaning in death, be more accepting and embracing. You know, we are cursed with knowledge of our own death. Mm-hmm. We're the only species mm-hmm. that we know of um, mm-hmm. that has this particular curse. And so we mm-hmm. have elaborated a number of stories and narratives and whatnot to sort of try to try to make sense of that. Yeah. And, you know, as usual with Integral, we generally like to say things like everyone is right. So we try to almost reverse engineer sort of an integral metaphysic that can make space for all these different kind of perceptions of what happens after death and and all of that Mm -hmm. but again i don't think this is actually you know we're not going to be talking about today or we're not going to be focusing on necessarily that transition between life and death instead what we're going to be doing is noticing how again like so many of these beautiful cosmological ideas it's actually not so much describing a reality out there as much as it's describing an ongoing reality in here so i think the basic thesis of the show of what we're going to be talking about today is that this concept of a bardo we are constantly already within a bardo realm every moment is a bardo everything that we experience in this world in our lives is in a state of transition and i think that there are a number of perspectives that can be taken there are a number of practices that can be performed which helps sort of shift our awareness to appreciate the fact that we are constantly in this state of transition. And I think this is important because particularly these days, I think there is an overall sense of stuckness or of arrested development on a mass scale. And a lot of people I feel like are feeling almost subject to forces that they cannot control. And therefore, they feel small in relation to these gigantic sort of impersonal forces that threaten to kind of squish them like a bug, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that there is an opportunity to kind of reorient to that, to actually sort of notice all of the various attachments and projections that we put forth into the world that actually sort of cycles into these patterns of conditioning that we carry with us from moment to moment, day to day, lifetime to lifetime, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I want to be talking about today is sort of how to enact our lives, how to enact the world around us as this sort of perpetual Bardo state where Mm -hmm. we have an opportunity to add something new, right? Where Mm -hmm. we have an opportunity to consciously navigate these transitions in our lives in sort of whatever domain we find them right Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. talk about like the transitions we have to make with our own 
biology, right? Our mm-hmm. own physical bodies, which are constantly mm-hmm. in a state of transition and changing over time. We can talk about navigating the transitions in our relationships, right? One of the examples I often think of for this is, um, you know, raising a daughter, right? When you're raising a kid, you are watching transition <laughs> after transition after transition. Mm-hmm. And it's like every time our kids kind of move past one fulcrum point, you know, and sort of stabilize at another stage of development, et cetera, there is something really, really beautiful that is found, that is gained, that is sort of mm-hmm. taken on. And there is a sadness because there is something that is lost. There's something that is mm-hmm. let go, right? Mm-hmm. Like my nine-year-old today is a different girl than she was when she was seven years old. And it's amazing Mm -hmm. to watch Mm -hmm. that growing up process. Mm -hmm. And I have memories of who she was when she was seven. And that little girl isn't here anymore. Mm -hmm. She's someone new now. Mm -hmm. She's someone different. And, you know, there's a lot of that that she's taken on and she continue, you know, that she's inherited. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also a lot of sort of new layers that get added on. And whenever Mm -hmm. you add a new layer, it kind of changes, you know, the, the, the composition of who we are as individuals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and the other piece I just want to say is sort of the personal piece. What, what provoked this topic for me um, in the first place was I have, I have a really, really good friend whose mom recently passed away. Yeah. And I'm actually in the process of making for them uh, an urn, a temporary mm-hmm. urn so that he mm-hmm. can distribute her ashes, mm-hmm. which is actually, I'm working on it. It's yeah. this box right here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I'm working on this box, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to deliberately sort of infuse it. Do you know what I mean? With, um, with my own contemplations, I'm, you know, and it just has me in a very sort of Mm -hmm. reflective mode Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea for this particular show kind of emerged within Mm -hmm. that kind of tender space, um, you know, of, of, of loss, of reverence, of love, um, Mm -hmm. Etc. So it's well, you know it's, it's, it's something that's been kind of yeah. uh, feeling alive for me. Very embodied. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for setting us up with that, Corey. I loved the this uh, topic as soon as you shared it. In many ways, there's so many ways I've been probably feeling the nature of transition in the last year in my life, and probably just all of us have you know in the state of the world and going through a pandemic that's felt like a certain state, right? Okay. And one thing I want to add on the clarification which is kind of interesting so yeah we're using this traditional term bardo and like you said we're not like doing some traditional formal exploration of that term in that context only we want to broaden it out into the integral uh map and framework mm-hmm. one thing though in the tibetan buddhist system what's funny is actually uh this year i finally read all the way through the tibetan the so-called tibetan book of the dead mm-hmm. uh full translation of it and um it goes it, in Tibetan Buddhism. There's actually six bardos, so it's not just the. Bardo. In some traditions, it, it there is like between just between death and, and life. But to share those, in case anybody's listening to that, these, these are actually really applicable here in Integral, as you'll see. But the first one is birth and life. That's mm-hmm. this is a whole bardo. <laughs> we're in we're in that dream state. So Ken talks about dream states a lot. That's a bardo. It's different. It's a different state. <laughs> um meditation which usually like meditative absorption but we can experience different states of consciousness and feel like hey that's a different state different bardo death itself that moment of death and then there's that one that everybody's really interested in because it's the one that's we're all anticipating and wondering about and like you said there's lots of different ways of conceiving of that and that's where the nature of mind is revealed like that we can directly nakedly experience an opportunity and the characterizations of like what happens in, in death and the in-between state in the Tibetan Buddhist system is very Tibetan Buddhist-y. Um, and that's where you would have to go for the essence because it's like, oh, is everybody going to see peaceful and wrathful deities as presented right. in Tibetan Buddhism? Well, but if you look at the essence, like, oh, well, it makes sense that whatever we have been cultivating in the transition of life and totality is probably going to, you know, that we're going to experience the nature of mind and all of its display in whatever forms that seems to make sense to me because it's just like hey we go to we go to sleep and dream all kinds of shit comes up right that's right and then there's becoming so becoming uh Mm -hmm. uh, being born again so some of these like in the tibetan system can we can take them as just like the general title and feel how we experience all of those things in life even the, the idea of like 
dying and being an in-between state and then what do we do emerging from that state in life so anyways um the the idea like you're saying here of like hey we're always in a state that's exactly how it is even in a traditional sense of Tibetan Buddhist system of like there, there's never a, a place where they say they're now you're no longer in a bardo <laughs> right this is like no constantly right. uh, so yeah I've really appreciated that because uh, even just looking at it model in a traditional way it makes the thing that happens for me is I want to pay attention to what is the nature of this bardo whatever it's this moment or a phase like months what characterizes it you know, and how I understand that and characterizing it is informed by what I'm aware of, right? So if I'm aware of four quadrants, for example, I can include that in understanding this particular transition state. And we're always in a transition state. There's always a sense of groundlessness. And, and I know you have some, a great way of framing this that I'm sure you're going to share. But um, yeah, with traditional, you're looking for the essence. You're looking for waking right. up. But here we're taking it we conclude that but we're going beyond the waking up right no it's all beautifully said and thanks for those clarifications on the different sort of kinds yeah. of bardos that we can experience all of which i think are applicable to this conversation and you know on on integral life we actually have a web course with um andrew holacek mm. um which i sort of tongue-in-cheek titled uh okay i'm dead now what? yeah that's right that's right true. so I like it's, that it's, title. Actually, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a really wonderful little little course that is presented as a way to prepare ourselves for that sort of great big end of the rainbow Bardo realm mm -hmm. um, that presumably we're all going to experience when, you know, sort of entropy wins out over extropy and, uh, and yeah. we, you know, yeah. inevitably die. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting about that is, you know, at least as, as framed by Andrew in that series, mm -hmm. is that the way that we prepare for that sort of great big... Yeah at the end of all things, the way we prepare for it is actually by practicing the bardo, navigating the bardo in our everyday lives, in sort of the, 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 the micro level minutia of yeah. our everyday lives, right? right? It's, it's, so Andrew likes to talk about things like developing practices for lucid dreaming, right? Mm. Which is a way to sort of familiarize ourselves with that yeah. particular bardo realm as almost a staging ground of, of sorts yeah. right the more yeah. we can practice sort of navigating the subtle realm of our own dreamscape that yeah. we are learning the exact same postures right the actual the spiritual postures that we require in order to navigate sort of the end of life part mm -hmm. realm. yeah and i you know i like to push that sort of teaching sort of even further so there's there's not only sleeping practices but there's obviously any number of waking practices yeah. and part of that is this ongoing practice of mindfulness mm -hmm. right where we mm -hmm. actually begin to notice that every step we take every action we take every movement we participate with in this world is a microbardal realm in itself every door you walk through when you walk through a door from one room mm -hmm. to another room you are walking through sort of a gateless gate of the bardal realm itself and there is always opportunities for new perceptions and new opportunities for creativity mm -hmm. when we are making these kinds of transitions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that this is, this is a, to me, this is what a practice life means, yeah. right? We're not just sort of unconsciously following the habituations and the conditionings that we are inheriting from moment to moment, but we are adding to that conditioning, this opportunity for recognition, right? This recognition mm -hmm. of sort of absolute reality, ground of being, the nature mm -hmm. of mind, however we want to frame it, right? There's an opportunity for recognition, which also provides an opportunity for, for more conscious engagement with mm, every mm. facet of our lives yeah right yeah. and not just more conscious engagement but also a deeper it becomes a wellspring a source this sort of undying source of things like appreciation and mm. gratitude yeah. right because when you actually begin to notice the sort of ephemeral constantly changing nature of reality mm. itself there almost automatically this this response of gratitude 
comes online. Like, I'm just so grateful for the way this universe has arranged itself right now with all of its comforts and all of its discomforts. Hopefully it's the right kind of discomfort that's provoking, you know, even more change and more growth and more transformation. You know, you kind of need that friction. So you, you extend the gratitude to the friction itself. Yeah. But all of this becomes part of this, this ongoing practice of living our lives fully and fulfillingly right so that Mm -hmm. again and it's all sort of in a way a dress rehearsal for that for that big final bardo to come as ken wilber often says if you die before you die then when you die you won't die which is an awesome tongue twister (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know i think one of the things that um i i appreciate that i bought the the that translation of Tibet Book of the Dead a long time ago. I mean, mm. it's been on my shelf for a long time, and uh, I don't. I tend to do that. I have lots of books that I want to read but I haven't got to yet. They're just filling up my <laughs> office. But there's something kind of neat and magical, a little bit that it comes up at the right time for me to read it, and I appreciate that I read it now versus mm. a long time ago. Because say 20 years ago, the presentation, for example, on death was. Uh, magical in a different sense in like, Ooh, wonder what that's like, like going to the movie theater and getting some popcorn. Right. And it was something special right. and not something that I really connected to actually in my living experience, but reading through it and feeling into it. Now there's something more mm, grounded about it naturally where just feeling like, well, yeah, I think I don't care how it's presented, but to me, there's some sense of that, like, Hey, it's going to be worthwhile prepping, <laughs> not just for the a moment of death, but yeah, what happens after death? Uh, you know, we can use an interval map to at least orient a little bit with that to say like, hey, it may not just be a physical lights out and that's it. Um, but it's just, it's really simple. That's just like, well, practice now, like right now, like this is it's not for later, not even special for later. Like, oh, I need to practice something special now for something special that's going to happen later. The best practice is practicing right now for for the same reason for this part right. you know, and it'll, it'll, only help later and saying a little can, bit more, can, I, can i just say yeah, real quick i think because yeah. i think that that sort of yeah. highlights a point our yeah. very concept of later is itself <laughs> one of these illusions yeah. that yeah. is sort of arising and falling within the bardo realm of this present moment right now there is no later yeah there is no before we yeah. are we are there's no here there's no there we are sort of perpetually existing within this state of in-between yeah really only that that sort of ongoing unfolding of the now moment yeah yeah exactly and you know um you mentioned mindfulness and feeling into here so starting this conversation from kind of like a foundational level which is kind of what we're doing of like hey bardo we're always in a bardo this is foundational Mm -hmm. we can get into specifics like specific transitions in any way like in the interval map but something I find helpful in a foundational sense is like uh, the combination of mindfulness and then a, awareness practices. We would differentiate these two in, in, mm-hmm. in Buddhist Geek's map. Mindfulness lets me really pay attention to what's going on in real time. And you get that sense of like where you're saying the fluidity that everything is changing. And so nothing's really static. We're not static. All the experiences that are arising are not static. And so one, I can that can help us rec- recognize hey, things aren't as stable as what we thought. <laughs> and we can have some refinement of paying attention to what's actually happening, um, which is helpful to understand the state, the bardo we're in <laughs> uh, on a microcosm, macrocosm. Awareness practice, though, helps to not make that completely maybe going insane or overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So awareness is the unchanging space of everything yeah. happening you know if from from mind yeah the ground of being so if, if i can disentangle myself from the habitual entangling with experience and content then i can relax i can relax which is really good uh just in general and and helps me to pay attention more actually so yeah. this is like a in this sense, how I'm presenting this, they're they're like a kind of one-two combo. Yep. So I bring that up because people at any given time may need one or the other. Of course, other practices like heartfulness, you mentioned a lot of heartfulness arising. Sometimes it takes a little while for people. Some people are very heartful oriented. And so that's their their mm-hmm. 
go-to practice, but then sometimes it takes a while. It takes a while for the practice to work us over for us to let go deeply enough to then say, ah, okay, I'm grateful for this. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. No. And, and I love how you're invoking sort of the ground of being because you, 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 almost, you can't observe sort of one side of that, of the absolute, when it comes to the absolute and the relative, you cannot observe simply one side without also observing the other side. Yeah, really come. I mean, this is the non-dual, this is the ultimate non-dual pair right here. Yeah. Classic. And and then, and Ken points to it all the time in a girl map. So it's like one of those nice crossword points where like very much classically presented in waking up but also super relevant in just everyday life and in the integral map. (laughs) Yeah. Like how, cause that's always a big question. It's like, how does this waking up business relate to anything else? Right. Aside from what might be presented as a special realization, but it's like, well, then so what, (laughs) but that's how it relates to me for, for like these transitions because transition very much speaks to like the content of everything that's happening and all the quadrants and lines and all this stuff. (laughs) Oh, that's exactly right. Because when you are perceiving that literally everything is constantly in a state of flux, right? There are no solid objects. There is nothing, nothing exists that is independent of everything else, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this, this, this radical sort of ongoingness, this, this ongoing flow where Uh reality is sort of, you know, washing into reality and, um, and, and, and this is what manifestation is when you perceive that you have no choice, but to then also, I mean, it sort of, again, it just leads you right there. You begin to notice the one thing, the only thing that is not changing. And the only thing that is not changing is the absolute awareness Mm-hmm. itself right this yeah. effortless awareness the, the ground of being which is which is forever unseeable right i mean that's why it, i think it often takes people so long to notice it in the first time because there's nothing to notice because it's what's doing the noticing mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah yeah lost, right you get you get sort of lost in the in the 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 display of form um which is again constantly kind of recombining and shifting and new emerging you know mm-hmm. sort of things are happening all the time and yet before and beyond at all and this is where prepositions really break down because it's not before <laughs> yeah, right. it's not Language, beyond yeah. But yep. it sort of gives you a, a spatial idea of where to locate it right. um, before and beyond it all is this effortless ground itself. The only thing that is yep. never changing while everything in the manifest realm is constantly changing. Yeah. And we and- are sort of, you know, forced to to reconcile these two. And that's how I think a lot of people have some of their very initial kind of non-dual experiences where suddenly mm-hmm. that distinction kind of collapses right? And there's no mm-hmm. more sort of awareness on this side and sort of the ever shifting realities on the, on the other side. They, uh-huh. they're, they're, there's only that, that oneness that isn't even a oneness. It's just simply a not two-ness. Yeah. Um, you, you can't talk about it without sounding like Yoda. Yeah, um, well, for sure. <laughs> That's, you know, what I would say though, it's interesting is like um, people can be very, it, it, there's a typology that plays out in, in waking up Um that, for example, awareness and mindfulness, a person may practice one or the other pretty predominantly, especially when we first come to a path, we tend to like go all in on a particular flavor that works for us. And I want to just present these two as like a couple antidotes, depending on who we are or what our experience is in a particular transition. So overwhelm, like with, you know, like a fire hose of experience, Mm-hmm. can then benefit from a letting go, not a tracking of it all, but letting go of it all into some, into bigger space and, and being able to rest like that. So there's just, yeah, there's, there's more ability to be present with what's happening. On the other hand, if there's like a stuck, like an inertia, right. It's just like, whoop. as an example, then that's where mindfulness can be really helpful. It's kind of like what do you notice? Like if everything feels the same and it's not moving, it's like, what do you notice? And we start paying attention that, okay, oh, that's a relief that actually it, it's not one singular unchanging experience. And for example, in social meditation, using a practice like there is out loud and doing with others is really great to do this. I, f- I find that if a person's just a beginner can reckon, start recognizing this really quickly, because if you sit for 10 minutes and you start just noticing what there is, it's going to reveal itself that, hey, we're not just noting the same thing literally for 10 minutes, even just 10 minutes. So I would just present like, offer that as a horizontal typological thing that like, 
one or the other may be beneficial for that. And then of, of course we can bring in other practices like maybe heartfulness is the right antidote as well of like, forget all of that, like come into the heart right. <laughs> and uh, feel the tenderness of the moment, which right. you mentioned brought you into this That's right. topic, you know? That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think this, this speaks to, um, so we just got a question on YouTube, which I think oh. uh, right now might be an appropriate time to, to answer it. The question is, can we function as an individual in the relative manifest world if we are in a constant non-dual unity consciousness? I I tell people, I mean, this is just me. It's kind of like, I'll start with saying it doesn't matter. Like mm. I, I, I will end up saying, like if I'm working with somebody and they ask me this, like, let's forget about that. Let's focus on something else. Actually, let's focus on something that feels very, very tangible. So for example, if a person is telling me like, hey, I feel like I'm in the state constantly and I'm having trouble, for example, I'm not saying that this person is saying that, but like, that's something to work with. That's tangible in, in a person's experience. But usually like when this is this, this question comes up a lot, like, but in an abstract way, usually conceptually, I don't, I don't know that a person just abiding 24 seven in what might be called a non-dual state of consciousness. I know there are people who claim that and, mm -hmm. and maybe that's true. <laughs> But um, yeah, I think it's more about the recognition of that. They experience the direct insight that then transforms us. Like it's, and there's even debate about that. I know Daniel Ingram puts out an idea of like, hey, what happens if there's a traumatic brain injury or something like that? Does that then affect any insight we've had in this life, in this body? I don't know. But aside from those kind of questions, um, it's very palpable if a person rests and directly recognizes nature of awareness, ground of being always already. And like really truly can let go. Then that permeates who we are. Like we mm. can take like, yeah, I can, I can be in whatever state playing video games with you. Right. That, that recognition isn't evaporated. And like, I may, I may like get involved in something or I may be upset or whatever, but I can come back to that and rest. And then that's a capacity that I think we can cultivate in an embodied way, the ability to return home <laughs> the ability to let go deeply into like a non-dual state. I think more like a non-dual orientation, being able to like dance with that. So like Adyashanti's book, Emptiness Dancing, something like that. Like we can dance because if we're biasing any one or the other, like non-dual, um, you can get attached to non-dual, which is yeah. like, then then there's nothing to do. Yeah. Because absolute relative are no different and why bother with anything else? Right. As we're language and everything, uh, I find it's like only appropriate when a person is really there and uh, in their path and then wrestling with that in their embodied integration into life. Um, that's my response to that anyway. So I'm just saying, don't, don't, don't even sweat it. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> response because I think a lot of it, you know, we, we I love the question. I really love the question because even asking the question sort of faces us to confront how we are conceiving of something like non-duality in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the important points is that, um, you know, the non-dual experience is no different than the experience you're having right now. Yeah. That's, not, that's not something else that is outside of your conscious experience right now. I mean, that's sort of, you know, that's why Ken uses sort of, you know, words like always already when he's describing mm -hmm. non-duality, because it's not like suddenly everything changes, right? And then we are, we have these new perceptions of reality that never existed before. There is a, there is a, there's an incredible simplicity, so simple, yeah. it's hard to notice yeah. when it comes to talking about non-duality. Yeah. And one of the things that it's not that I think it's often sort of conceived of is as this kind of fusion, right? Everything gets like, fuse yeah, together yeah. and then form and emptiness become like this kind of oatmeal where you can't yeah. differentiate anymore and everything <laughs> right. is just sort of this this the same stuffness yeah. and and i think you know one of the ideas is that when you're having when you are actually you are already in a non-dual state of consciousness right now i think that's the ultimate point you are already there just a lot of us haven't noticed that and even that sentence is full of all sort of contradictions and paradoxes yeah. um but one of the things is that i i think it's 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 when when you're inhabiting that non-dual space it's not like all of the products of the manifest world just evaporate into sameness like you still have a self, a lowercase separate self that still exists. You simply realize that it is not ultimately separate from everything else in your perception. 
right? So you still have these gradients of being, of existing in the relative world. You're just seeing through the illusion that what's on this side of my face is separate from what's on that side. Yeah, yeah. There's a deeper sense of inner interbeing, interconnection. And and really, like you said, so the really the integral map helps everything you just said, like helps us to recognize that, you know, it helps us to recognize waking up help the, the realization of non-duality and and lowercase s self etc so a person who who gets attached to that realization then you know it becomes pretty obvious that like trying to squash <laughs> form like like trying to point to the essence of form constantly like saying like anybody who's talking about form is just getting lost in illusion kind of thing and so really they're biasing towards kind of emptiness, but it's presented like that. But really it's like, well, what happens afterwards? That's always the thing I'm interested in is like, well, how is life like now for you? Whatever realization it might be, whatever experience it might be, it doesn't, we can use different maps. Like it's a recognition of the subtle, like mm-hmm. that Ken talks about. Now what, what's life like? Um, and Hokai Sobel gave me great questions a long time ago to process experience. And so like one of them was like, how did your body feel? How does your body feel now? How's breathing? How does the world look? You know, and so one of the things is that there's less friction about like absolute and relative. There's just like, that's why I mean the question becomes irrelevant is that it's just, it's okay. It it just is like, and we don't have to like, there's just some friction that we can let go of. And then we respond. (laughs) And I think that matters. That can change how we experience transition states. And so that's, I think the beauty of a waking up if we take it far enough into an integral dharma awakening, then oh, it, it that's the how I keep coming back to. It. There's just more space, more room, more ability to let go and be present with what's happening. That's so, right. yeah, no, that's that's critical because things like sensation, things like perception, they don't again, they don't just evaporate sort of in the light of non-duality. Yeah. Um, they they're just sort of enacted a little bit differently. Um, and you know, and I think the other step there is that. Um, it can actually over time begin to reformat our perceptions of reality because mm. there's certain kind of, um, let's just say mental con- conveniences, what we might otherwise call illusions, right? Mm-hmm. There's these, these heuristics of, of the mind kind of display themselves and you begin to realize how partial in a lot of ways our own perceptions and therefore our own sense-making uh, really is. So, you know, in pre- preparation for this episode, I wrote sort of, um, you know, what was just to me kind of like a, almost a cognitive series of pointing out instructions that mm. for me personally, lead me into a deeper perception and enactment of the mm. state of constant transition that we ourselves and everything around us mm. are always already in mm. at, you know, right now at this moment. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll read yeah, some- have at it. Yeah. So here's what I wrote. Uh, We are never fully here or there. We exist in a state of perpetual in-betweenness. When it comes to the grammar of our own sense-making, nouns are the ultimate illusion. In reality, there are no nouns. We are all verbs, verbing verbs forever. We perceive objects as being static, solid, and stable. But the most we can really say is that these are semi-stable patterns of organization that temporarily exist within some polarity of emergence and entropy. Every holon we see, and I'm going to try to track around the quadrants a little bit, every holon we see in the upper right quadrant that appears to be whole and singular is actually at another level of scale, a dynamic system of subholons. This is true whether we're talking about our bodies, a basketball, or even a single atom. Eventually, the subsystems that compose these holons will break down. So they're never static. They're always moving on one level of reality or another. And when they break down, that results in the inevitable disintegration of the holon. And just like our exterior world exists in this constant state of flux, this state of transition, so does our interior world. Our identity is constantly in transition. And here we're not just talking about things like gender fluidity or changing sexual preferences. Certainly that stuff too, but not only that. We're also talking about how the, the, the actual seat of identity itself is constantly changing. It's changing as we grow through these multiple stages of development. It changes as we awaken 
into these multiple states of consciousness, right? It changes this depending on our surrounding contexts and who we happen to be talking to right now. I'm a different person in a state of transition talking to you right now, Ryan, than I am when I go upstairs after this conversation and talk to my daughter. <laughs> in fact, no other person ever sees us fully. We are literally a different person for everyone in our lives, for everyone that we relate to. Every person we've ever known enacts us somewhat differently. And these shifting intersubjective contexts in the lower left quadrant allows us to inhabit different parts of ourselves when we're relating to different people. So we can see that transition, right? When I walk up the stairs out of the show and start talking to my family, that is a transition. That, that stairwell becomes a, a sort of a, a Bardo realm in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's, it actually reminds me, Ryan, of the, uh, of the biblical quote, I am who you say I am. Mm. That's literally true. <laughs> That's literally true. And if I ask you, Ryan, who am I? You're going to have a different answer than my mother will have, mm. who will have mm. a different answer than my wife will have, who will have a different answer than, you know, my kid will have. I am all of that, right? But I'm never all of those things simultaneously. I'm constantly mm-hmm. transitioning from one of those identities to another identity. Mm-hmm. Meditation practice helps show us that our minds are themselves a sort of bardo realm where past conditions and new creativity intertwine to produce our ongoing inner experience. Meditation actually allows us to widen the aperture of our awareness so that we can witness the micro anatomy of the moment itself, where each moment inherits the karmas of the previous moment novelty an opportunity for something new to emerge, which then becomes the karma that's inherited by the next moment. This, I think, inverts our perception of things like past, present, and future, right? As we were talking about earlier, as we begin to sort of reorient to reality from the perspective of this ever-infolding, ever-unfolding, and ultimately inescapable now moment, which I think is the Bardo realm itself, right? It's sort of the container of the Bardo realm itself. There is no past. There is no future. There's only this perpetually self-integrating and self-transcending moment right now, right now, right now. The big bang is not something that happened billions of years ago somewhere in space. It's still happening right here. It's still happening right now. And you and I, we are just some of the countless semi-stable ripples that are dancing on the periphery of that ongoing and ubiquitous explosion. Every moment is a bardo. Every moment is a death. And every moment is an opportunity for new life. Mm, Beautifully. Beautifully written and said. Thanks, man. Love it. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that for me, cause, and, and maybe this is, this is true for our audience as well, but I am one of those people who like, I kind of have to start with the cognitive, uh-huh. right? I kind of, I kind of lean with that. I kind of yeah. lean with the cognitive. So I try to find these, these cognitive oriented ways to try to restructure my perceptions, right? Like yeah. well, here's the different context, right? Like let's, yeah. let's try to enact reality, even initially just cognitively yeah. through this sort of this new heuristic and then yeah. let that kind of totally. That That's very trigger. common, actually. I mean, I think that happens a lot for lots of folks like uh, in, in Buddhism, you call it a view, you know, mm. but there's, whether it's in that realm or cleaning up realm, we're always starting usually with some kind of view because we intuit something and we're deepening in some way, deepening, healing, transforming. And we use a view to help us orient and like try to explore something new. So it's both like, for me, true that it's like arising in our experience organically. And then we use our minds and views to like help in that transition or that reorientation. Yeah. So very, yeah, that's beautiful. And I loved, uh, I love yeah, the, your linguistic take on this too, with the verbs. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that's a big part of it, right? Is that the, our perceptions of reality are actually in a lot of ways sort of formatted in a, in a deeply unconscious way by the structure of language itself, right? I mean, like earlier when we we're talking about um, not, you know, wh- where to locate witness, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find these prepositions it's before, it's behind, mm-hmm. it's beyond, mm-hmm. it's, you yeah, know, yeah. any number of sort of prepositional spatial kind of relations it's mm-hmm. just these are this is this is how our minds are formatted so we mm-hmm. have we have no choice but to try to use sort of 
grammar itself as almost metaphorically, almost uh, <laughs> impressionistically to try mm. to get a fuller kind of, you know, more deeply realized understanding of how this reality is constructed in the first place. And we're limited in a lot of ways by the, the structures of that grammar, the structures of language itself. Yeah. It's like trying to imagine a color you've never seen, right? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, language um, being both some, you know, semi-stable, like the word you used, like mm -hmm. the otherwise we don't communicate. There has to be something semi-stable even, and usually it's at the unconscious level, even though we can then take an outer look and, you know, document that. But it's also fluid and changing and evolving, uh, probably in some regards, reflective of collective development, which I don't know if anybody's mm. explored exactly. I'm sure Ken has said as much, but like somebody exploring and mapping that. And it reminds me of uh, Stuart Davis and, and his, our good friend and, and linguistic nerd uh, mm -hmm. as well. His uh, language is, uh, That's right. I have tattooed here, uh, what part uh, a, a phrase. He created a language um, to try to be able to better handle some of the things we're talking about, the, that the grammar itself or how it's structured can embody that and express it a little bit more accurately. And um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting too. That just brought me on another side <laughs> train. It is. I mean, it is. It's a fact. I mean, it, it's, it's its own sort of rabbit hole. And at some point, you know, maybe what we should do is bring uh, Bruce Alderman on, who actually has a whole sort of thesis of integral grammology. Oh, cool. um, that is way over my head, but um, I can pretend to kind of hang with him. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we should give him a, an opportunity to yeah, unpack cool. some of that because I think it's a lot of it really does start, you know, it finds its roots in our language and how mm -hmm. we use words to describe these realities. And, you know, language itself, I think, is one of the primary reasons why we have this perception of separateness to begin mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. right? It's because language is constructed of these sort of discrete nouns that are verbing mm -hmm. in some adjective way, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's, it's yeah. how, again, it's, 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 it's not just how we communicate. It's also informing how we're actually thinking about and how we're actually perceiving these realities in the first place. And the nice, yeah. one of the nice things about, I think the non-dual experience and, and really any number of experiences that we'll call transrational. Well, one of the reasons why they're transrational is because they don't quite fit cleanly into the yeah. rational mind. They don't, right. they don't fit cleanly into language without immediately creating paradox, without immediately creating contradiction, mm -hmm. right? What, yeah. what was it Ken said? Something like, you know, paradox is what transrational ideas look like to the rational mind. Yeah, totally. It's a great point. Um, you know, also the flip side of all of language, though, is I'm one of my favorite quotes from Religion of Tomorrow from Ken. I can't remember how you phrase it. It's really good how he phrases it, but like the miracle of we about saying that like one person can look at another person and say, uh, like, I understand you or you understand me or something like that. Yes. That like, that's amazing that that happens and, and it's happening through. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I forgot to turn my message my notifications off and uh, my partner uh just texted me because she's running at the track and using airpods and they tend to mess up and she said inhabit your goddamn earbuds because <laughs> <laughs> i told her we were doing inhabit and she's having trouble with them so that's hilarious sorry that popped up and i could no, not, that was, that was, not that was acknowledge a perfect it. interjection she'll probably i think it's really funny that i mentioned her anyways um yeah. So this, this, uh, yeah, like you said, paradox <laughs> of that, like, Hey, grammar can be limiting and, and language can provide all kinds of ways in which we kind of get fragmented maybe in, in, in buying into like a static, uh, view of things and ourselves and each other versus like this transitional fluid groundless state. And at the same time, we understand each other, which is amazing. Yeah. Which How really is, that yeah, it is a miracle. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, especially again, when we sort of invert our perception of, of time and eternity and all that, when we invert our perception from past flowing into present, flowing into future, flip it inside out and look at it as sort of the, the ongoing sort of ubiquitous performance of the now moment itself right mm -hmm. there really never was a past there really never was a future however 
all the karmas from this moment get inherited by the next moment, which get inherited again. And you can feel it happening right now. And when, you know, when you are really deeply engaged in a meditation practice, you can witness it happening right now. This, this moment to moment sort of micrology of, of shifting karmas and new creativities that are emerging right now, right now, right now, right now. And when we do that, we get to notice things like, you know, you, you just mentioned earlier how we in this moment right now are not separate from every conversation that has ever happened before mm -hmm. this one, right? We are, all, all of this is sort of continues to build on itself. It continues to kind of snowball, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. uh, so yesterday's forms, yesterday's discussions get recombined, repackaged, represented to the mind of the moment, which then expresses it in a slightly different way. And we would not be capable of having conversations like this, say, 2000 years ago, because we're depending right. on all sorts of unspoken contexts yeah. and and happenings right. and, right. you know, occasions that um, if they don't happen, we don't have sort of the the granularity of language to try to parse it in a sensible way to begin with. So everything that's ever happened before this moment is infused into this moment. And I think that's. Again, mm. one of the point of noticing, of, of shifting our mind from a perception of reality as a collection of static objects that are bumping into each other, mm. right, into this, this sort of different perception of an ongoing constant transition from one state of being to another state, to another state, to another state. Mm -hmm. As we mm -hmm. give it, begin to realize how we know this moment is not separate from the formation of the planet earth billions of years ago <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when it was right, yeah. you know, like all of those karmas are still with us today. It's why we exist. It didn't happen billions of years ago. It's still happening. It's still happening. This is still the condition right now. And then when I, you know, the next step for me, Ryan, is when I, when I sort of, when I shift from that kind of cognitive, like, let me see mm -hmm. if I can perceive these quadrants a little bit differently, that then kind of sinks down into another layer of being where yeah. it begins to sort of come through the heart and that's where the heartfulness mm. really comes online and one of the mm. things i notice is that there's this there's this again ongoingness to these feelings that are associated with these perceptions so one of the feelings i think that we really want to want to surface is when you are perceiving constant transition there is a sadness that comes with that because there's an aspect of us that wants to grasp. It mm. wants something to feel solid, either out there or the ground underneath our feet. We want that security of the illusion of stability, the security of mm. the illusion that there really is sort of a, a ground. And of course there is, there's a mm. capital G ground of being, but mm -hmm. the lowercase grounds that we mm. can constantly try to construct for ourselves are themselves entirely transitional. Mm. And so we grasp for permanence. We grasp for something to just like hang our hat on for a moment. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. to, to, mm -hmm. to allow ourselves to feel um, stable, to allow yeah. ourselves to feel like a solid object, if only for a moment. So there's a mm -hmm. sadness that comes with, with letting that go. There's mm. a sadness that comes with noticing that what is true right now won't necessarily and what's real right now and what exists right now won't necessarily exist in the next moment yeah. and so you have to constantly let go let go let go mm -hmm. but then in the other side of that it's like that's one chamber of the heart the other mm -hmm. chamber of the heart is this constant excitement right? There's an excitement for mm. novelty, for creativity, for, for whatever this new form that's going to emerge is going to be. I want to yeah. see it. I want to witness it. I want to, <laughs> I want to co-create it, right? I yeah. want it to come through me and not around me. And there's, there's this um, almost sacred feeling celebration of change. Like, mm. thank God things aren't static, right? Mm -hmm. Thank God things only last a little while torment us and then fade away <laughs> as, as ken often mm -hmm. says yeah um there, there's yeah. just a beauty in the fact that like this moment will itself almost reincarnate as the next moment mm -hmm. which will mm -hmm. then transition and reincarnate 
mm. as the next moment. So yeah. again, when we get down to like the absolute finest granularity of our perceptions of times passing, mm. um, that's the hit that we get. And it invites us into, again, a perception of both the ever shifting forms in the relative world and that absolutely unchanging witness consciousness mm. that I find words like witness and mm. I am and you know all the, the absolute subjectivity mm-hmm. all of those are synonymous to me with the word capital N now mm. the now moment is the witness mm. Mm. and that 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 becomes almost a, a koan for me mm. when I'm practicing mm, it's beautiful yeah beautifully said um you know uh with all this it reminds me of um i believe this is long chimpa uh probably from basic space of phenomena but like when when you get to Sogjin, how they talk about things changes in tone quite a bit um it's definitely not going to be scholarly at all it's very poetic and they don't really care much about resolving par- any paradox so like one of my favorite ones this is paraphrasing it but like they'll say it or like basic space phenomena or nature awareness, whatever it might be, um, that it's nothing at all and yet arises anything whatsoever. Mm. And so they'll use these for, and they'll and they'll say amazing. That's the they'll just keep saying things like this. Can't find anything yet. It's everything. And so at a certain point, that's sort of when we're going back to that you know discussion about non-duality. It's like it just you just let go and just be like, yeah, that that's it. Like no, no more processing it. Like it has to be directly realized. And then it's like, and so we can map here to like a deepening. So I want to acknowledge that and say that like, I, for me, the most important thing is to be where we are in our own process and development and deepening. We can read about maps and we can read about stages of waking up or stage of development and go, Oh, I really want that. It won't really make much of a difference. Just like be where we're at. And so it may not be some of these experiences I do think unfold in, in a deepening yeah. where like the heartfulness or a deep appreciation, like they'll talk about uh, in long trip. We'll talk about, it's like, I'm a, I'm like a madman uh, laughing at myself. This is crazy. Like saying something essentially like that, but for somebody who's maybe not quite there yet, they literally might feel a little crazy, you know, like trying to process this and they need something to be grounding. It's like, feel your feet on the floor, like breathe, you know, like don't try to like, emulate this realization right because they won't help it'll be actually ungrounding and destabilizing not a true like uh opening in in this kind of grounded presence way um so anyways i wanted to just frame that there and bringing in the kind of the developmental perspective even in waking up i think it's this. critical i think it's critical and, because you're pointing to actually again the transitions of our own realization yeah, our and, and own so realization the, goes through this. Like oftentimes, and you know, maybe you relate to this. I think a lot of our audience probably relates to this. Back in my 20s in particular, I really had a strong hit of that like seeking. Yeah. Energy. You know what I mean? Right. Like I want right. there was something for oh, me. Oh, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> that I had not yet discovered. Yes. And eventually I began to realize that the more I seek, again, here's the paradox: the more I seek, the farther away I get from it even though it is my already always my always already condition and yeah. you never get far from it you but can't here's the thing man it. yeah totally but here's the thing though like what i mean by be where you are is like and i remember the same thing for me and we call we call it one of the phases of insight which is our cycle that can be repeated the first one is seeking mm-hmm. and that's exactly how you described it that's how it feels you know and then we can have multiple cycles through this that feel much different more subtle but if I'm working with somebody who's really in a seeking phase, the first time of that, let's say even they're in their twenties, you know, something like they put all this, the typical profile together. I want to support them in the seeking. It's going 100%. to do no good real, really to try to practice as if they're close or around an always already realization, just like, yeah, seeking. All right, let's, I got some uh, good books for you. I got some good practices for you here. Check these out, you know? But then there'll be there'll be the recognition of like the pain of like efforting and then having some breakthrough and then realizing like, oh, I'm just getting further and further from what I'm actually seeking. Oh, okay, let's practice differently now because that's the person's experience. So I think like 
as far as recognizing a bardo a transition state we're in we have to feel what's actually true not what we imagine it could be and using integral i would say to do like an embodied tour of the integral map feeling into what's most salient what's most prominent so you can like what's up in your life uh right now going on what are you feeling into you can go through the quadrants but like in an embodied way like is there something highlighted in one quadrant that's really so if somebody going through a, a challenging medical you know experience a health experience that maybe like that's what's up most and it's impacting quite a bit in other quadrants you know etc it's like that's what's characterizing this particular bardo the things we're talking about i think can be infused in all of that so like if we practice waking up we have more fluidity maybe in navigating that tour of the quadrants or or the four ups five ups now yeah I don't know how many ups we got now. We're getting the ups are going up. We're adding new ups every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So on a no, practical standpoint, like like we're we've been setting out views, so that's great. So and we have, I mean, we could keep expanding into other perspectives, you know, that a person might take on Bardo. And that could be helpful, you know, to like have a more robust tour, embodied tour that we can take. But that's where I would go in the end is like, I am where I am right now. So let me feel into that. I think too, I'm just going to put a little devil's advocate that sometimes we may not pay attention. We may be biased. So like uh, biased to an upper left quadrant experience, you know, mm -hmm. and we just don't pay attention to the state of things in the lower right quadrant. And it could be really good and beneficial to inhabit that quadrant, to pay attention to it. So that way it can become part of our conscious states our conscious bardos and transitions versus like always out of view so that's kind of the flip side of that that like mm. we may only pay attention to what we pay attention to habitually including in waking up we can wake up in the same habitual way paying attention to the same facets of being that we always do and not including others so bringing in something cognitively can help totally broaden that totally and i think that's kind of the idea is, is that there's there's any number of sort of um stimulus that can yeah that can sort of turn that inner dharma wheel <laughs> right mm -hmm. that you can that can help you move from one phase in the ever transitioning realization process into another phase like for me you you mentioned uh you know like medical problems like for me mm -hmm. the big what had the largest easily impact on my own sort of inner sense of spirituality um since the first sort of satori implosion that i had when i was 19 years old was mm. when we were going through my daughter's right. medical issues and yeah. we were spending you know after spending a week in a place like children's hospital which mm. you want to talk about a bardo realm that place is mm. i mean that's like the mm. bardo in concrete mm. form right yeah. i mean you are suspended between illness and health between yeah. life and death between mm. sadness and joy i mean the mm. full freaking gamut yeah. of the human experience can be found no theory needed you know yeah and the effect that it had on me ryan was you know i walked into that hospital one person and i walked out another mm. and one of the one of the main sort of transitions right that that i experienced was in um how i related to my own spirituality i walked in the door with any number of spiritual sort of imaginal forms of right. spirituality yeah, totally. and all of these like big, beautiful kind of interior mandalas that I've constructed over the years that helped me make sense of this and these beautiful ideas and adornments and ornaments and, you know, all of that. Hmm. And when I, when I went through that particular bardo, I just noticed how much of that was stripped away hmm. because none of it was useful. Right. Like, None of it was, there you go. Right. I was sort of, I was just stripped down to the bones of, of effortless awareness, almost yeah. to an agonizing degree yeah. and then free floating compassion for everything that was, that was occurring in that space. And it was just mm. those two things. Mm. It was just like yeah. awareness, compassion, put one foot in front of the other awareness, right. compassion, put one foot in front of the yeah. other. And it stripped everything down. Mm. It, it, it brought it down to the bones. And what was interesting is I experienced that after the fact, and plus for any number of, you know, yeah. there was, there was psychological wounding, there was emotional wounding. I mean, it was a traumatic, traumatic event, but you know, it felt like a dark night. I started to miss 
the mm-hmm. ornaments of my own yeah. spirituality because i used to wear yeah. that shit on my sleeve you know what oh I mean? yeah for like, sure right. like i'm meeting someone let's talk about our spirituality you know what yeah. I mean? it, it became right. it became a a piece of my identity itself uh-huh. and then i i dropped i was sort of forced in a sort of you know for whatever yeah. reason the karma of our lives and of evie's life and of you know yeah. my family's life forced the dropping yeah. of these of these yeah. idolatries these spiritual adornments and uh-huh. and i found myself missing them which turned into a bit of a dark night i, I was like right. am i spirituality wrong now <laughs> it's <laughs> See, not you as know. like like fireworks and, and yeah and it's just it's quiet now i yeah. it, it brought me to a very quiet and tender place yeah and 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 that 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 quietness that tenderness um feels sacred for lack of a better word yeah i mean you i mean you give a, just a beautiful heartful example of a teaching on the phases of insight literally like from start to finish mm. like uh that i would essentially try to describe to people and you know if i'm doing a teaching on it it would just be like hey this is i mean what you said i was just like these are the kinds of general things you feel but you came through it in such an honest like n- no choice about it experience that's like so powerful unavoidable to go through that um and whereas like some people if they don't have that everybody's going to have difficult experiences and traumas and things like that 100%. but it, but if a person is going through kind of like a formal practice they're going to reach those territories but it may be just harder to give into and let go into and recognize because it's happening through like a simulation of sorts you know in practice mm-hmm. but with this it's like there's no simulation for you that is just just like that's what was happening and the, the only way through that was going through that opening and deepening you know uh yeah 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 man reminds me of one of those one of those hindu goddesses is it kali no i don't even think it's kali but there's one of those one of those crazy hindu uh deities whose job it is to almost violently strip these illusions from you whether you're ready or not right and and that was me i i wasn't necessarily ready um, I was, I was, I was grateful that I had, you know, some perspectives that were valuable for me, but even sort of, even sort of the, the luminosity that I associated with those perspectives, even that mm-hmm. was taken out. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cause right now what I'm Makes aware sense. of, what I'm aware of is fear and, and uh-huh. anxiety and death uh-huh. and, and that's okay too. Like I have uh-huh. to, you know, that was sort of one of the wisdoms for me is I have to invite those things as well. I have to invite those discomforts and find the the anti-fragility that comes mm-hmm. naturally with this effortless awareness and sort of the ex, the vast expanse um or the perception of a vast expanse that it generates that becomes the source of that new source of resilience that mm-hmm. that is itself what allowed me to put mm-hmm. one foot in front of the other and then yeah again, and again. yeah yeah you know? well thank you for sharing that Corey. i mean I'm so happy that you all made it out to the other side of that in a really good way. Yeah. And uh, I know, like you said, that, that experience, that it's all kinds of things happening in that Bardo. Uh, and that was just, you know, that was, that yeah. was my flavor. I think I, I, I feel like this is sort of a mm. universal, yeah. you know, it's the old cliche that like love never ends mm-hmm. happily. Right. Every yeah. love story is a tragedy. Yeah. Because eventually we have to, we have to let go. We have to yeah. learn how to let go. Now, thank God in those moments, um, there was a lot I let go of, but I didn't have to let go of my daughter. Right. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Um, yeah. But inevitably we are faced with these experiences inevitably yep. you watching at home are going to experience loss. You, yep. you, you may already have, right. And each of those is going to become this mm-hmm. uh, this this fulcrum in that trans ever transitioning sort of realization, um, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I I led this with with saying sort of there's there's a an intrinsic sadness that comes with these perceptions mm-hmm. of transition because yeah. we don't things to you know especially the things that we we want the things we love to last forever and unfortunately that is not how this reality is composed yeah yeah and you know i'm glad you like i said you shared like kind of a start to finish personal description of you know phase of insight that we like to use and uh and you said something about arriving at a quiet tender place so i think it's important because sometimes people can 
get really stuck at that dark night and disillusionment and be recognizing the things that you're talking about are like, oh, we all have to die and we have to, every every love story ends in a tragedy. That becomes the kind of characteristic of that Bardo yeah. of disillusionment. But that's not the whole story too, you know, it, because there's some, otherwise, how can we survive that? You know, like how can we be resilient through that nonstop experience and so when you share there's a quietness that's you know we talk about equanimity after that and which is different it's not like some sparkly ornate kind of experience but there is spaciousness there is some okayness you know and then the the gratitude can emerge the the appreciation of what is good and beautiful can come back in online in a deeper way but you only get there too through going through that uh you know some sort of disillusionment you know of acceptance of all the things you said yeah yeah fundamental said. at the at the core of 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 talking about uh, bardos and transitions you know is, yeah. is, is, is these cycles yep. yeah and and, and, cycles, uh, and it's and it, we begin to realize you know it's like that old uh khalil gabran quote about joy and suffering yeah and how you know joy and suffering are are inseparable you don't know one without the other. And I always liked that image um, in the prophet of, you know, suffering is what sort of carves this trench within us, mm-hmm. within which can be filled with joy. Mm-hmm. And the deeper that suffering goes, the more it can be filled with joy. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always really, really yeah, loved love that it. sort of mental. I love his poetry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, speaking of transitions, speaking of transitions, well, Ryan, thanks so much, man. This, this, um, yeah, this, this, this was, uh, this felt like a moving show. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I love being able to talk to, you know, people like yourself, just people who are very close to me. Um, and it, you know, it helps. Likewise. Move. Like I said, this all came sort of from a personal experience that I'm having with a friend who I care deeply about. Yeah. And it just, it led me to, a to this kind of tenderness and um, yeah it was really nice to um, no likewise i was really happy you brought it up i hadn't even thought about it but i'm like oh yeah this is definitely uh something i've been feeling into in so many different ways in the last year so yeah um i hope it's beneficial to anybody uh, uh, you know whether in solidarity to somebody listening or potentially offering some different ways of navigating transitions i know it's like we you know we do a deep dive but in some sense it's just drop in the bucket <laughs> for what these what this could point to you know in, in our that's lives right. that's right yeah well brother i love you man thank you so love much love you too man and uh, i'm looking forward to uh the release of integral dharma which we yeah. will talk about more in our next episode in september yeah looking forward to it yeah look for our next episode all right and to everyone awesome. at home thank you so much for watching us uh let us know in the comments below what you thought of this episode? Was that helpful? What would you add to the conversation? We really want to know uh, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and how you live this uh, in your own lives. So please, yeah. please, please let us know. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I'll see you next time, buddy. Yeah. See ya. All right. Bye.